Welcome to Village Church Online. My name's Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church, and I could not be more thrilled to get the opportunity to spend some time with you, and we're gonna change things up. We're not gonna be in the book of Psalms today. We're gonna be in the book of Colossians, so make sure you turn in your Bibles there. And the reason we're taking this break is because one of the main questions, actually the main question I've been asked throughout all of COVID, uh, everything that's been happening in the world is not about the circumstance of what's happening, but it's about what's to come. It's asking, when are we going to gather as a church again? And it's a big question, and I understand I mean, I had this social distance gathering with our community group leaders at our Langley South location and we were sitting outside, but we had the doors open so you could go and use the washroom. And I walked in and being in that space definitely inspired something. It reminded me of the incredible times we've had gathering. There's something to be longed for in that, but it's not the ultimate question. It's not the question that we should really be striving after or the first question on our minds and our hearts when we think about the church and the application of the church in the world. The fulfillment of the church in the world is not the actual gathering of the church. The fulfillment of the church in the world is to have all of its members, all of its parts, all of its participants fully loving and becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So the question becomes, should the question in our hearts and our minds around church and our expression of our belief in Jesus in the world be, should it be, when are we going to gather again and get back, get back to normal? Or should it be, how can I love and long after Jesus more? And this is why we're going to be in the book of Colossians. This is a letter that Paul actually penned to this guy, Epaphras, and his church that he planted. And the reason it's big is because the theme is all around the supremacy of Jesus. A lot of Paul's letters actually have themes. If you look at Romans, it's justification by faith. If you look at Ephesians, it's the idea of the mystery of Christ and his church. If you look at uh, Philippians, it's the joy that can come from being in a relationship with Jesus. But the book of Colossians is all about the supremacy of Jesus. And this is so important because the whole world right now in the midst of the most uncertainty it's ever faced in our lifetime is telling you, this is what you need to be whole. This is what you need to be okay. This is what you need to feel better and to feel more secure. And it's giving you all these options. And this is the same culture that Epaphras planted a church in. It was a Gnostic culture. And Gnosticism is this idea that it's a really pursuit of knowledge-based worldview. Okay. The word Gnosis is actually a, a, a Greek word that means to know. And so they pursued knowledge and they they would take bits and pieces from every worldview around them to try and craft this major narrative that made the most sense, but it was actually really convoluted. It had secret passwords. It had all these different like mysticisms within it. And then it also took from Christianity what it liked. So when it looked at a Christian church, it said to it, hey, you have this idea of Christianity that's part of the puzzle, but there's all the rest of this that you need to know. And Paul comes in and combats that and says, no, there's something about the supremacy of Christ you need to know. And in our culture, we're feeling the same. People might look to you and say, yeah, okay, Jesus, I like the ideas of that, but then there's all these other schools of thought that you should pull from. Let me show you this blog. Hey, read this blink. Make sure you're reading this book and entertaining with this idea, this blog post, this, this uh, podcast, whatever it is. And so we get pulled in all these directions. And because of that, skepticism starts to take charge. And then when rubber hits the road and things start to go wrong, we start to question the validity of our faith in Jesus. And that's why we, I want to take a moment just for us to actually re-zero in. So let's start in the book and see what Paul actually says to Epaphras and this church in Colossae. It starts like this. This is right in chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Listen to how he speaks to them. He doesn't speak to them like he doesn't know them. He actually speaks to them in their value and who they are in Jesus. He calls them faithful. He calls them brothers. He calls them family. This is powerful. And I think some of us need to hear this. 
we live sometimes in a culture that feels like it'll beat you down if you're not good enough. And yet, like Paul does to the church in Colossae, I want to do to you. I just want to encourage you, like you as a church are doing a really beautiful job. You're doing a really, really good job. I'm hearing stories constantly of how you're loving others and serving others well, about how you're being faithful and moving in your relationship with Jesus. We've seen people responded to in times of crisis like we never have before. I've seen you in the church all over, like all over the world really respond in ways that are filled with compassion and love and an urgency to see people come to know and follow Jesus. And I want to encourage you the same way Paul does. You're being faithful. Well done. Keep going. Like let's continue as this family, brothers and sisters under Jesus to see this well. And if you're not part of that, this next little piece is for you. He continues and says, grace to you and peace from God, our father. This idea of grace coming before peace is something that we sometimes struggle with. We want peace. Isn't peace something you want? Peace is something I want. I mean, I have four boys in the house. I'm constantly praying for peace. It's chaos. You know what I mean? Legos I step on on a day. Like it's, this is what I need. I need peace. I need peace. And so maybe you need peace too. And maybe you've tried all sorts of things to find peace. Maybe you've tried all sorts of things where you've, you've tried to find it in how you can, you can have security in your income. You've tried to find it in finding that perfect relationship. Maybe you've tried to find it in your own academic value and what you've been able to accomplish. Maybe you found it in being able to bake bread for the first time. I don't know. But regardless of what you're searching for, you're looking for this place to say, I'm okay. I need security. I'm okay so you can believe it. But peace doesn't come on its own. And a peace that surpasses anything that happens in life is one that's gonna come from the grace of Jesus. That's why Paul says grace first. Grace always precedes peace. So the idea that Jesus can give you peace comes out of his grace. And we're gonna talk a lot about that grace today. So let's just continue in that. Paul continues to thank God for the church that he's writing to. He says, we always thank God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Now this next verse is important. Since we have heard, your, heard of your faith, circle faith, in Christ Jesus and of the love, circle love, that you have for all the saints because of the hope, circle hope, laid up for you in heaven. These three words, faith, love, and hope are three of the most defining words in the Christian faith. The idea that if you follow and love Jesus, you need to have faith. You will, in response to having a relationship with Jesus, show love, and then you'll have a hope for eternity. But the question begs for all of us, hey, we have, if we have faith, which all of us have a faith position, whether you believe in God or you don't, we're all putting our faith in something. Some of us are putting our faith in the hope of observational science, that what we see in the world, and then based on the things that we observe, the outcomes will be the same. So we have faith that it will work this way. Some of us have faith in old worldview or religion. Some of us have faith in the good of humanity. We put our faith in all sorts of things. And the question is faith in what? And then love, love in our hearts, not just an emotion, but an application of love is produced from something. So where does our love actually get produced from? Is from emotion or is it from how someone treats us? What does this love look like? And then finally, hope. Like what is, what is our hope in? What do we put our hope for the future in? Is it in Jesus? Is it in something else? Is it in our finances or our marital status? Is it in our job security? What do we put our hope in? And we have to answer these questions. The Bible would come at you and say, hey, faith in Jesus is the best way to find hope and peace, security and love. And in fact, goes on and in first John tells us and defines love in this way. It says, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is meaning that God actually in love showed us his love by sacrificing his son, that Jesus showed us his love by going to the cross and taking on the full wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. It's this beautiful self-sacrificing love. This is actually something, I've done a whole bunch of weddings in COVID and can I just make a note, if you are maybe getting married at this time and you need to do this really intimate wedding, kind of detailed wedding, 
It's really, really beautiful. It's powerful to see the closest people in your life just in that small moment. And they're there to encourage you like they have your whole lives to bring you to the place where you are standing before that other person. And they're there to continue to pour into you. But this idea of love, I encourage couples who are getting married to seek after the self-sacrificing love. And I wanna encourage you to do the same. If you love Jesus, the best way you can display your love for someone else is self-sacrifice. It's to actually sacrifice, not out of the abundance you have. So not after you say, okay, cause this is kind of what I tend to, feel like all the time too. It's like, I have to make sure I'm good first. I have to make sure me and my family are good. And then I can sacrifice from the, the leftover, from everything else I have. But sacrifice is more than that. Sacrifice is actually sacrificing some of the good. So whether that means even like giving to the local church or giving to others, whether that means sacrificing your time and your talent, whether that means helping other people rise up so they can be all that God intends for them to be, Look to sacrifice from your own life. The first things, not the last things, the things that really matter and the things you'd want to keep most for yourself. And the love from Jesus would actually motivate that. See, so the love you get from a self-sacrificing God should encourage you to be self-sacrificing also. It's powerful. And finally, the hope laid up for you in heaven. This hope is not in anything else, but in Jesus. In the book of Revelation, it actually tells us that in the end, the war has been won, that Christ is coming back and he's the one that all things are moving towards. We'll talk about that coming up too. He continues, because of this, we have heard, we have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing. This is an idea that it's actually for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Yes, even your stepmom who would never, Ever love Jesus or your friend who would never like the gospel and the hope of the gospel can transform every sing- single person in the world as also it does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God and truth just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit and so from the day we have heard this is what Paul's prayer is for the church listen to this from the day we have heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding listen to what Paul prays for for the church he doesn't pray that things will go well he doesn't pray that the pressure of society society will wean off. He doesn't pray for any of those things. He prays that they would be filled with knowledge, spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays for their minds. And that's the battleground, isn't it? Like that's the place. Like when you know something about yourself or about the world, you function differently. It changes you. When I started here at Village Church, Mark and I get along really well. Maybe you've heard stories about the couple's massage thing or all these things where I've made all these fumbles along these trips, but he would take me on trips. And this idea was like accountability, right? So we'd go on these trips and we'd go all over North America. Whenever he was speaking, I would tag along. And I mean, being a tag along is a lot of fun, right? You don't have a ton of responsibilities. You're kind of his keeper. You, you, know, you just make sure his place is on time and has the things he needs, but then you get to hang out. But in the midst of this, I got to hang out with a ton of my heroes, like guys I was reading, like people that I would read books from, guys I was listening to. Like these were the guys that I would elevate in my mind as being, these are the dudes I want to be like, these type of people. But when you're in the circuit of like, North American Christian teachers and they're preaching all over the place and they're getting all these opportunities and accolades. Something happens in your heart. Like it's sometimes, this is so crazy. Sometimes the coolest opportunities can do the worst things to your soul. And so I'm here in this moment and I'm sitting with people and talking with them and getting to know people that I never would have dreamed of even meeting. But some sort of bitterness is starting to like stir up in my heart. And the bitterness is coming from who I think God's made me to be. And I started to feel bad and actually feel bad about the person I was. I was like, man, why don't I get these opportunities? 
Why, why can't I get to speak to it? Why don't people want to hear what I have to say? What does this now look like? And so I started living in this way that I started feeling really down on myself. And so every time I was around these people, instead of feeling celebrating what they were doing and how the gospel was advancing, I was just feeling pity for myself. And I remember this one pointed moment, we were in Orlando, Florida, and all the craziest things happen in Florida. Sorry if you're watching from Florida. It's a wild reputation you have. Uh, but we were there in Orlando, Florida, okay? And we're sitting around this fire and I'm sitting there and we just got out of the hot tub. Don't picture it for too long. So I'm in my swimsuit. I'm dripping wet, sitting around this fire and I'm talking with Mark and I'm saying, hey, like, man, I just wish I had a gift like you did. I wish I had this lightning in a bottle communication gift that would change people's hearts and lives forever. I wish I could do something to like see people know Jesus just by the way I talked to, like if I could talk to thousands of people, wouldn't that be so cool? And in that moment, I was feeling really down on myself and I look over and I see this guy who's trying to get into the hotel and he, he obviously doesn't have his key, he doesn't, can't get in. And so I just walk over and I hit the key button for him to let him in, open the door and I see him and it looks like there's something going on in his face. Looks like something going on. So I'm like, hey man, are you all right? Right, just because that's just who I am. I, I wanna love people. I wanna like, naturally my gift would be more shepherdy is what we kind of, we define it by. Meaning like, I love to be around people. I love to kind of counsel and spend time and long relationship and see people thrive, but in this one-on-one -on -one setting. And so here I am with this guy chatting and I just ask him, is everything okay? And he says, no, like my grandmother passed away. We were really close. I didn't get to say goodbye. And so I asked him, I said, did she ever have any like kind of religious beliefs or anything like that? He said, no. And he also made sure that I knew that he didn't have any either. And I just said in that moment, I was just like, hey man, I believe like there's a God who loves you and might want to heal you and comfort you right now. And so I said, can I just pray for you? And he said, yes. And so I put my hand on his shoulder. So here I am in Orlando at night, dripping wet, half naked, put my hand on this guy's shoulder, who's a total stranger, and just start praying the hope of Jesus into his life in that moment, the healing of God, that Jesus, the Holy Spirit would meet him in that place and just heal the brokenness that's within him. And in that moment, he just started to sob and he collapsed in my arms and he's hugging me and crying. And then I end up setting breakfast with him to keep talking the next day. And in that that moment though, beyond anything that was happening there, all I heard was the voice of God saying, this is good too. He was saying, this is good too. Chris, your gifts are your gifts. And he's given me those gifts. And it started to change my mind. Like the knowledge I had, the spiritual understanding of how God could use me, it washed away all the better knowledge that I thought I had in the world from my experiences where I was saying, I need to be this to be fulfilled. I need to be great. I need to be an accomplished speaker. I need to be going on circuits. All of that washed away because he said, no, Chris, you just need to be you. And for some of you, maybe you just need to hear this, like the gifts that God has given you in a time where you don't know how you're supposed to be used. You don't have people in the church saying, hey, pass this bucket or you know, cut up this communion bread or greet this person at the door. And you're wondering, where do I serve? It's like serve by being the best you you can possibly be, the most faithful you, because that's what God has gifted and defined you to do. And the encouraging part is as he continues in this, it's gonna change your mind. It's gonna change how you are, but it's gonna change how you live. So Paul says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. The idea of pleasing God is not in you being great. It's in you walking faithfully as who he's created you to be. He's created you to be in relationship with Jesus. If you haven't taken that step, step into a relationship with Jesus and he's created you to be faithfully you. It's incredible the things that you learn. Like in Ephesians four, there's this like five different skill set: apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. This idea that God has created all of us differently. And for the church to function well, we all need to be functioning in our gifts well. So let this change you. And then more than that, we have to believe that we can actually be changed because life changes us and the knowledge of God will change us. Some of us understand things where we're like, man, I've been in the church my whole life. I hear what you're saying, Chris. I understand that. But we don't let it change us. We've never actually been like transformed 
formed in our hearts. I lived my life like this forever. I was raised in a, in a home where I had like loving people who, parents who love Jesus. They gave me every opportunity to actually like go and be part of the church and youth group and band, like in the worship band. I was going to conferences, all this stuff all throughout my life. And all it did for me was learn, taught me how to be a really good hypocrite. Like I got it, I understood it, but I didn't live it out. But then there was one moment where the Holy Spirit actually changed my life. And that moment started with a question. I questioned, hey, like, what if none of this is real? What if all of this idea of religion and faith and spirituality, what if it's just nonsense? And if I die, I don't actually then exist at all. I just die and that's it. And maybe that's what you believe in. Maybe you even find comfort in it. The idea that like you could just die and that's it, gone forever. Well, that didn't give me comfort. It scared me. I started looking into it. And so I called friends and I called, I called this friend, Phil, who was a mentor in my life from this, um, we were doing a Bible study together. It's called Beer and Bible Study. I know the best like makeup for community groups ever. But the idea was you'd bring a beer, you'd bring chicken wings and you bring your Bible and just read the Bible. And I called him and he said, hey, let me meet you for dinner tomorrow. And so we went out for dinner, this place in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the Red Top Cafe, love it. And the idea there was he just told me to, to push into, he said, do not get distracted from this question. It was a question of the mind. And so I started reading. I started reading my Bible. I started reading into different philosophies and ideas and worldviews. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit changed something in my life. But at this point, it wasn't just knowledge anymore. It was different. It was like life-changing knowledge. I began to live the way I believed the world should function. So I began to live out what I actually believed. And this is actually really like Judaism, like in the Jewish faith back in the day, like if you knew something, you would live it out. Like it was foolish not to. Like the idea that I know that Doritos aren't good for me, but if you put a bowl of sweet chili heat in front of me, I'm gonna have some Doritos, okay? Like I don't always function that way and guaranteed you don't either. And in the midst of that, that's why they say this. This is why Paul says, hey, this knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding you have will help you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He continues like this. You will be strengthened, being strengthened with all power and power according to what? Power according to his glorious might. And this is the beautiful thing. After I had that moment in Orlando where I kind of finally got my head around who I was before Jesus and what my function in the world should be, I started seeing Jesus actually do different things in my life. It's almost like that thing. Yeah, you, maybe you've had this when someone's like looking for a girlfriend or a boyfriend and they're looking, 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 and then they finally give up and they're like, ah, I'm going to be single forever, whatever. Like that's just where I'm going to live. And so they stop looking and then it happens. It was almost like that. It's like, I wanted to be all these things. And then I realized I wasn't created to be. And that's when God actually let me step into my gifting. So I saw fruit. I saw him working in different ways. I saw his glorious might actually doing something in my life and through me. And through that, I've seen more people come to know Jesus. I've had more fruitful conversations. I've been more at peace. I've had a better life experience. And some of you are wondering like, how is Christianity? How is following Jesus? How is giving him my life or whatever that means or whatever that looks like practically? How is that actually gonna change anything? Will anything change? Can I tell you from experience? Yes, 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 a hundred times, yes. The idea that this, uh, this new understanding or new belief wouldn't work for you is absurd. Jesus will change your life. Jesus changes everything about you. And sometimes it starts in your head and it starts with a faithful decision. So if you haven't stepped into a relationship with Jesus, if you haven't repented of your sins and began to believe in him, I wanna encourage you, like I will pray at the end of this sermon for that to happen for you. And if you make that step, you better reach out to us. This is villagechurch.com slash next steps. I had to throw some hosting in here somewhere. Make sure you actually follow up with us so that you can move and take these next steps and be like supported in the midst of doing it. 
because it will change your life. It works and you'll start to see things change and you will be strengthened according to his glorious might for all endurance and with patience and joy, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you. Circle that word qualified because this is huge. This is so huge because up until this point, it feels like you've been doing a lot. It feels like you've been the one who's has to hold it together or you need to give your life to Jesus or you need to respond to the spirit or you need to be the one who's being a faithful church member in the world who's loving and serving others. But this is what it all comes down to. All of the stuff we've talked about is actually a response to something. It's a response to the gospel, to the saving grace that Jesus offers you. And it comes from this, a qualification that the father has done, something that you didn't deserve. So I do this thing called Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I hope some of you guys are watching. Here's the thing, what it looks like, if you don't know what Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is, it's basically me putting on pajamas and wrestling with a bunch of other men, okay? But one thing I like to do in the midst of that so I make sure I'm consistent to the classes I'm going to is when we're not in COVID, I love to sign up for these different tournaments where you actually go and compete and you fight and you wrestle and it's super tough and you're now looking at me like I'm way more awesome than I am. Um, but here's the thing, so I signed up for this tournament and it was in November of last year and I signed up for it and uh, I I hadn't had the chance to train up until it as much as I wanted to. So beforehand, and just so you know, okay, this isn't proud of me to say, I'm part of the ultra heavyweight category, okay? Ultra heavyweight. It sounds terrible, okay? 220 pounds to forever. And so think about that. Here I am, this squat kind of chubby dude, you know, a little thicker, just like entering into this tournament of guys who are absolute giants, like dudes I couldn't even, like they could squish me with their hand and those are the guys I step in on, okay? And so I sign up for this tournament and I'm thinking, man, I haven't trained. I haven't had the opportunity to. Things have been so busy. I have a hundred excuses and I'm not ready for this. But so I look online and look at the bracket. Turns out there's only three people in my whole bracket, only three. And you know what that means? no matter what happens, I'm getting a medal, okay? No matter what, I'm getting a medal. So I go there with my family, my kids, my wife, they're watching, my wife's recording all these on video. No, I won't show you. And I go in and I actually fight this first guy and he's about my size. And I think, hey, this could be cool. He takes me down, he puts a clinic on me, taps me out, that's it, I'm done, super quick, over. Not impressive at all, okay? So then I get prepared for my next match, a five minute break in between. And I see this other guy who's actually my bracket and he is like universal soldier. Like I'm talking like just jacked up. I'm like, man, they're not testing anybody here. Like this guy's just huge. And so I'm freaking out a little bit inside and I can tell my kids are freaking out too. And my wife is like, oh man, I'm getting this on video. Yeah, absolutely. And so here I am in the ring with him. I try and grab a leg, try and take him down. He ends up dragging me to the ground, taking my back. And this is where it goes wrong. All right, he sinks in something called a bow and arrow choke. And what this is, he reaches across one collar of my gi, pulls this way, has his hips in my back and grabs my leg and pulls again. So he's actually like, pulling me and my spine through his knee, okay? Through his hips. And this is bad. And in jujitsu, if at any point you want to stop, you just do the simple thing called tapping. You just tap and the other person lets go. There's a whole lot of trust and respect there. See, in that moment, I have his arm. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really tight, really tight. And the next thing I notice, I'm in sports check and I'm slipping on flip-flops one foot at a time. What happened was I was choked unconscious here I am on the mat in front of my family. I watched the video later. It's awful. And I wake up to this guy who's just shaking my legs. He say, hey, are you all right? Are you all right? And I open my eyes. I'm like, I don't know. Am I all right? He's like, I'm like, did I go out? He's like, oh, you went out bad. And I'm like, uh, okay, can I stand up? He's like, I don't know. Can you stand up? And I'm freaking out. Like I've never done this before, right? So I'm choked unconscious. I'm on the mat. I got two black eyes from the pressure that went through my head. My family's watching. On the video, my kid asks, is daddy okay? Like to my, to my wife, this is like the most crazy situation. And then I stood up and I went and I got my third place medal. Like this is a totally undeserved moment. This is a totally unqualified, someone else qualified me for it moment. And it's really interesting 
that that kind of a moment is something that we should experience in our relationship with Jesus. The idea that we don't deserve, is not a participation medal, it's even greater than that. We don't deserve to actually have the relationship we do with God because of the sin in our life. If you're seeking to be a perfect Christian, you will never attain that. You'll never be perfect. You'll never achieve it because there's no perfect Christian. There's only a perfect Christ. Jesus is the only one who lived this perfect life for you where you could not. He died a death that you deserved, where you needed to be there. He took your place. And then he ended up raising again three days later, showing his power over death, over everything else, his supremacy. And in that moment, he changed everything for you. He offers you not just this idea of salvation, but like we talked about, a life that's filled with the glorious might of God living in you and changing the fruit, the things that happen around you through that relationship. And he doesn't do it because you're good, but he does it because he loves you. That the father qualified you through this plan because he loves you so much. And then that's gonna change you to share in the inheritance of the saints. This word inheritance is so important. Inheritance is huge. It's not like, it, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it means that you have ownership of it because of who your father is. So God not only saves you from something, he saves you into a family with him. This language that Paul's used throughout the letter when he calls you faithful brothers, this familial language actually comes from Galatians. This idea that like God, the father, when he, we get the relationship with Jesus, when we step into faith in Jesus, when we've been saved by the blood of Christ, we step into a family. We're actually adopted sons and daughters and become heirs to the throne. We become inheritance of the saints in light. And this is where it changes now practically for us. The outcome of what the gospel has done in our lives changes how we should function. Otherwise it completely nullifies us. Like if we don't live differently as a result of our faith, what's the point? What's the point? And so we come to this place in the text where he says, he has delivered us. Who's he? Jesus and what he's done. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transformed us, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That means he picked us up out of one life and dropped us in to another. And this transition in the middle happens supernaturally. This isn't your work. The idea that you would be plucked out of a dark kingdom and placed into a kingdom with Jesus is totally not of you. That's exactly what God did when he qualified you. But the response of living in a kingdom of light is the different life you're going to live. This is where things change. And honestly, as a pastor, I've seen this, like this is the place the Christian church struggles the most. It's not in its evangelistic strategy. It's not in the way that it actually like, you know, invites people to church. It's in the function, the day-to-day -day of how you live differently with Jesus in your life. See, I have this beautiful guy in my life. Sorry, Ken, for calling you beautiful. Pastor Ken Dick, okay? He's been a mentor in my life and he actually developed this, this program called Freedom Session. Kristen told you about it earlier, that registration's open now. And I'm gonna be taking Freedom Session this fall. Why? Because I need to continue to learn what it looks like for me to live in the kingdom of light, a kingdom where the gospel truly applies to me, where I'm set free, made whole and delivered, what that actually looks like in the day-to-day, -day, where I don't live in shame or guilt or the things that I've done from that kingdom of darkness, the things that have trailed along with me, the patterns that have been in my life. I live in a new place where I fully recognize and understand the grace of Jesus. And what does that look like for you? And so I want to encourage you, if you struggle with that, maybe you struggle with still dealing with certain sin in your life. Maybe you haven't felt the freedom of what people have done to you. You carry a lot of weight and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. 
from how people in your life have treated you, from what they've said to you, from the experiences you've had, from the different ways they've hurt you intentionally, from the different ways trust has been broken. If you struggle with that, like I don't want you to just consider taking freedom session, like step in and do it because this will be practical discipleship that helps you get freedom from that, freedom from this kingdom, all the ways that are entrenched and just wanna hold you and ensnare you and keep you. You can release those things so you can be truly free and Freedom Session is a great way to do that. So make sure you head to thisisvillagechurch.com slash Freedom Session so you can sign up and register today for a 21 week. Yes, it's a huge commitment, but 21 weeks for the rest of your life living with Jesus in true freedom is gonna be so worth it. And I'm really excited to do it. I'm excited to see what happens. Like I've heard story after story after story of how it's changed lives and I'm looking for life change in my life too. So I'm excited to step in and I hope you join me in that. Make sure you get in this fall. It's gonna be offered literally every everywhere. They figured out a way to do that. So make sure you sign up and register. And look at this, because the whole point of this is so that we might be able to see Jesus more, that we might be able to understand him, that we might be able to actually know him. And there's four primary things you need to understand about Jesus. Cause some of us have this really meek, small view of who Jesus is. Like I said, he becomes a piece of the whole picture and we start looking to the world for all the other answers. But Paul clearly lays out in verse 15 on who Jesus is and what it means for our life. Just listen to this. This is all talking about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Circle firstborn. This isn't talking about the idea that he was born first. Jesus had been around forever, okay? Remember in, in John chapter one, right? In the, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus has been around forever. He wasn't created, but firstborn in that culture and sometimes in ours too, actually means that you are like the highest order. You're the highest rank. You're of the highest prominence. The idea of being firstborn means you're the highest ranked. So of everything that exists, Jesus, Jesus is the highest. And the question for us in our life, really getting really practical is, are you putting him there? Are you allowing the authority of Jesus to reign in your life? Are you saying, hey, Jesus, I want you to have control over how I do my money. I want you to have control over how I do my sex life. I want you to have control over how I do relationships, how I love other people, how I serve other people. Like just giving that over and over and over to Christ. That's what it looks like because that's his rightful spot. He's the firstborn. He's the top dog. He's number one in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That's actually interesting. Nobody's seen God but then Jesus makes God visible. He's the image of the invisible God, completely tied together. This idea of the Trinity, that Jesus is God. Whether thrones or dominions or authority or rulers, all things were created through him and for him. Listen to that. Jesus is actually the creator. That means that every soul, every cosmic speck, everything that we see, Jesus is actually created. He is creator. That's powerful to know that he, like when we talk about God knitting you together, Jesus is intimately part of that. He's created you and he loves you. He is creator. Think of that because sometimes we think of Jesus as the man and that his ministry in the world or anything he's ever done started when he was born of the Virgin Mary, when he came to earth, but he's been around forever and he is creator. It continues. So he's the firstborn. He's the creator in heaven and in earth of all things were created through him and for him. And he has before all things in him, uh, in, and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. Listen to that, he's the head. That means he's the sustainer. Like the head of the body is where you get everything else works, right? You chop off somebody's head, they're done, right? If something happens to the brain, they're done. That is the control panel. That is the number one. This is where Jesus needs to be the head of the church practically, but also in your minds. I remember my wife and I, we planted Langley North. It's one of our locations, our first cinema location. And when I was in there with the core team, they had the marquees over the movie theater. And one of them was for King Arthur, this movie that was coming out. 
And one of the guys on my core team comes in and he says, man, we need to change that to King Mark. And I said, no, no, we need to change that to King Jesus. Like Jesus is King. Jesus is sustainer. Jesus is the head of the church. And you're also off the core team. So please leave. Like this is what we have to recognize that he is sustainer. So he's, he's, he's firstborn. He's the highest authority of everything. Okay. He's the creator of all things. He's the sustainer of all things. And then continued, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead in everything. He might be preeminent in everything. He might be preeminent. And the last thing we recognize in the midst of that is that all things are moving through him. So he created all things through him and for him. Everything is moving towards Jesus. All of human history is moving towards Jesus. Everything is moving towards the culmination of the church in the world, of Christ's church that he's building, where he becomes all things, where everything comes to a point in who Jesus is. And that's where your heart has to come to today, is who is Jesus to you? Is he these things? Do you value him over everything else, over every other option in the world? Is he the thing you will supremely value? Is he the one you'll get grace from so you can find peace? Is he the one that you're gonna put your faith in so that through that, you'll love people differently and have a hope for eternity. Is Jesus the person, the person that you put your life and soul and everything into? So at the end of everything we're walking through together, you can say out of all the bad things that happened in COVID, the one thing that went well was that I learned to love Jesus more, that he would be supreme. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much that you love us, that you would love us so much that you would initiate this plan that you would qualify us through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, we are so thankful for what you've done on the cross, what you've accomplished and how you can see us really transformed today. And so I pray that if there's anybody listening to this message ever, that if you Holy Spirit would give them the opportunity to put their faith and put their life to repent from their sin and believe in you, Jesus, just like you said in the book of Mark, right at the beginning, the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe in the gospel. Would that happen in the hearts of the men and women watching this? Would they give their lives to you? Would they follow you? Would they pursue after you? Would they hold you supreme authority over everything else? So that we would see real transformation and change, not just in our lives, but through our lives, that you, Jesus, would keep building your church through us. And so, Father, we just again, or maybe for the first time, say we're sinful and we are so thankful for how you love us. And we ask that today you would transform us even more through a deepened or even a first relationship with you so that we would understand that you are the thing we long for more than anything else in the world. When we get to heaven, we get you. And that's not just enough. That is more than we could ever have dreamed about. And let us live that truth out now and experience it today. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.